I'm Eddie Rowley, and you're listening to My Country Life, a podcast that takes you backstage and into the real lives of Ireland's country music kings and queens. Each podcast in this series features a country star opening up the doors to their past and taking us on their personal journey into the spotlight. Along the way, they reveal their highs and lows, happiness and heartaches, and their struggle to find success. Here we meet Margot O'Donnell, Ireland's Queen of Country and Irish. Margot has had a remarkable life that included Tatty Hogan or potato picking in Scotland as a child. She joined her first band at the age of 13 and went on to become one of the biggest stars of the show band era back in the 60s and 70s. Margot recalls her childhood years growing up in Kincastle, County Donegal and a nearby Oi Island. And she tells how a promise to her father on his deathbed led to her turning professional at the age of 16 to support her family that included Daniel O'Donnell. This is My Country Life, a Sunday World podcast. Margot, welcome to My Country Life. Thank you, Eddie. It's great to be with you. A podcast. Did a we podcast. Ever, did we ever think we'd see the day? I never, ever thought I'd sit across <laughs> from you. Just saying to you, you know more about me and my family than I do. <laughs> but a podcast, when you said it to me, yeah. I suppose being that it was you, and I, I know you as long and as well as I do, uh, I didn't mind saying yes to you, but a podcast was never in my <laughs> repertoire. No way. <laughs> well, essentially, it's a radio interview in, in, in under a different name. Absolutely. Really. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And we're sitting, Thank you. We're sitting here in the uh, Tullamore Court Hotel and uh, it is uh, July of 2022. And you've just the night, last night played a packed venue here, seven or eight hundred people. Incredible. Yes, it was it was quite it was quite wonderful. I had uh, this date in uh, back just when COVID hit. And, um, of course, everything was cancelled. And then uh, they contacted Billy Morrissey. I, I was doing it under, under Billy Morrissey Promotions. And uh, they contacted him to see if I'd come back. So we were sort of effing and all this, would, would I do it? And um, there was quite a few concerts and I, I don't do an awful lot now, but I do what I what I like to do. And um, the tickets were were selling, you know, and uh, Billy said to me, you know, there's there's 300 tickets gone. And I, I did it for that reason. I did it for the people that would have traveled and had booked in to the hotel and all that. And uh, I came down to the sound check yesterday, went back up and. And uh, when I came back down at the interval to go on, the place was thronged <laughs> and they were even standing along the side. So it was yeah. it was a special night. Um, I went on at nine and I came off at 25 past 11. And then I spent until about 20 past one meeting the people and we had photos taken. We were careful. Yeah. You know, we had two security men there and we, you have to be careful. But we, I had a photo taken with everybody near enough. That's and incredible. then anybody I missed out, uh, they got a, a mouthful of me at breakfast this morning. <laughs> so uh, it was a great night and, yeah. and, and it was a great morning and it was great to be part of it. And I'm privileged. And if there's any background noises there, that's the people in the hotel cleaning, cleaning up, up after cleaning <laughs> up after the mess. So there you are, great, great. And after all these years, and this is your 70th uh, birthday tour, even yeah. though it's 
Yeah, even though I'm, I'm, I'll be, I'm 71. Yeah. Uh, but we tried to do it for the 70th, <laughs> and COVID stopped us. Yeah. But yeah, after all these years, it, it, it's very moving. It was moving to me last night because, and what was really uh, very, very uh, relevant in there last night was that the people that came, they didn't come to hear new songs. They came to hear the Cliffs of Dunin and Shanna Golden and all these old, old songs that I didn't actually have included last night in the program I was going to do. But you know what? We did it. We busked it and I sang every song. I dedicated a part in the middle of the show uh, for songs that people wanted to hear. And thank God for the memory I was able to do them all, you know, the Deepin and Snow, the Cliffs of Dunin, James Connolly, Shanna Golden, you name it. So it was wonderful. And they all sang with me. And what was beautiful about it was that everybody was happy. Yeah. yeah. To see happiness again, because I, I don't know what you have noticed since, you know, with all the lockdowns and the COVID of, and all these things. But there was like, um, there was like a dullness that came over people's faces that I noticed. And, you know, at now, last night, all of that was gone. They were singing, they were all clapping, enjoying themselves. And it was an absolute privilege to be among them. It really was. And you pulled it out of the hat. Yes, it was, uh, I think there's nothing as nice as something just off the cuff and it's natural. Yeah. And thank God, Eddie, uh, you know, m my brother Daniel can do the same thing. Yeah. No problem. Yeah. And it's a great, it's a great way to be, but it's a gift, you know. Yeah. And I was given the gift from God and so was he and a lot more of our, uh, of our comrades and, and country music and, and it was great. I was able to sing all the songs to them and it was magic. And you had people in from America? I had. I had uh, a row of people from Chicago. People came down from Belfast. They came across from Mayo, uh, Galway, Cork, Kerry, Limerick. Uh, actually, um, some people from the Isle of Man that I met last night came over for the... And they just coincided their holiday because they knew this was on. Yeah. So there was people from everywhere. There was a man there from Denmark, and he just had heard me on radio, and uh, I spoke to him for a little while. So it was I was totally and utterly satisfied yeah. uh, when the night was over and when I was able to meet everybody. It was great. Well, you never could have imagined all these years, all these decades later, packing out a venue with people coming in from abroad. Yeah, no, uh, and, no. I, and I, still I, singing the songs. Yeah, I, I wouldn't have, you know, I think we, we were inclined to overlook that. And we, we overlooked, the, you know, the effect that these songs that we sing have, I, have on people. I spoke to a young uh, lady, she's, uh, what was she? She was given a raise this morning. She was 32. And she brought her mother and I spoke to her again this morning and she said, you know, uh, when I was in the room last night when you were doing the show, she said, it's the first time I've ever heard you uh, and my mother has followed you 
all of her life. We were reared on your music. And she says, I'm just sorry that I didn't bring my mother before because she felt very emotional in the room last night. And I said, why was that? And she said, I was emotional because of the way people were feeling listening to the songs you were singing. So the only way that I look at that is that I, I am a very big part of their lives and they are equally as much a part of mine. You yeah. know, all that they have given me, all that I have, I got it from the audience. Call to arms, love, and the hills they wear aflame. Gone from the silent mountains, the Saxon strangers came. I held you in. springtime of the year let me take you back now to where it all where it all began uh back back in in Donegal uh and I know Oe Island played a huge role huge part, huge part yeah. of your life yeah uh, we, came, we came from a wonderful place Eddie yeah you know uh, you've been to all those places now and and uh, Oe Island uh, being that I was sort of the second eldest I would have spent all my you know holidays my school uh, the term I was off school in the summertime I would have spent it with my grandparents on the island and uh all of us would have had a term on the island. It was a very big part of our lives. And even to this day, it's still a big part. Uh, my mother, as you know, she came from that island and they they were raised simple, uh, but the, the great folklore that they had, that they actually passed it sort of down to us. I sometimes feel very... Uh, sorry for some of the young uh, people now and, and I, I'm only talking about uh, the people in the music business they will not have the memories that our generation and the show band life had you know across the board we we lived and we did the dances all of us uh, of my generation we did the dances in an era where every hall had two or three characters that you would remember when you would go back to play in that hall again. And those characters are not there anymore. There aren't any of those characters. Yeah. So I feel sad about, about that. And sometimes, you know, young people say, what, what was it like back then? And it's unexplainable. Yeah. You would need to be there. Yeah. So I had a great, I had a great upbringing. I had a great childhood, so happy. We were so safe. Uh, nobody ever did anything on us. We were we were just so safe. Our door was never locked at night. Anybody could walk in at any time. And I'm so happy that I'm just over 70 and I've had the privilege of experiencing all of that. And you started very young uh, as a singer as well. You were, you were only 
12, 13 years of age. Yeah, I, I joined the keynotes uh, when I was, I would be 13 in February. And it all happened because I sang in the choir at church at home. And then in Lent, dances stopped. There was no dances in Lent. And uh, the the local local people used to put on little drama plays in all the parochial halls. And we had one St. Mary's in Kincastle, still there to this day. And uh, the the ones that were involved in the drama, uh, little drama festival concerts that they used to put on, part of them were the keynotes. And uh, they did that in Lent, and they knew that I could sing. So in between the little plays, the parts of the plays, uh, Father Deegan, our, our priest, used to get me up to sing. So I knew all of the keynotes. The keynotes were all from around me. Local men. Yeah, local. And, and my father and mother knew them, and, and I knew them, and I felt very comfortable with them. So when I was, uh, I was still going to school, and I had been over in uh, Ayrshire uh, picking potatoes. We were tatty hookers, they used to call us. And myself and my brother John were over, and I was over for the summer. I came back early, and I remember I came back on the dairy boat from Glasgow. My father uh, left me at the boat, and he put a little label on my sleeve. And this woman... Uh, cared for me on the boat. She was there with her family. He knew her, of course, and my mom was to pick me up the following morning at Derry. And I had the money all home with me that John and I earned at the potato picking. So when mom met me in Derry, we went shopping for clothes for everybody for Sunday for the winter. The good clothes. Yeah, the good clothes that yeah. we wore only once a week. Yeah. And always you had a hat on, you're going to mask that time. So I got rigged out. I had the lot from head to toe. And we went in then on the Lost Willy bus back home. And the next day I went for a walk with a cousin of mine in the village. And when I came back, my mother said, the keynotes were here looking for you to see if you would sing with them, maybe at weekends and maybe when you're on holidays from school. And... Uh, uh, I always say I went from potato picking to show business overnight. <laughs> but that's how it started. And, yeah. and it was October then that I started singing with them uh, periodically in the beginning. And uh, I sang with them from 64. 68, we recorded our first single, the Bonnie Irish Boy, which was a song my father had given me, and he was a wonderful singer, had, knew all the old, you know, folky ballads, learned a lot of them probably from working in Scotland and the farms and all that. But anyway, um, I recorded the Bonnie Irish Boy, and on the flip side of the little 45 record uh, was uh, Dear God. And that was to be released on the 16th of August, and it was to be played on RTE on the sponsors' programs before three o'clock. And my father died at 11, so he never heard the song. There was no way that I could play it for him. Yeah. Like you would get a, a demo now that you could take home or you yes. would have a copy of it or whatever. But anyway, he didn't hear it. He died at 11, and, and we postponed the release of it then until about three weeks further down the line. 
And it made an impact in the charts. It went to number eight. And uh, Tom Costello, who was a big promoter in Dublin, uh, happened to hear it. And uh, a couple of promoters then in Dublin um, made me an offer uh, to front a new band that they would, a total new creation. And uh, when I recorded The Road by the River and If I Could See the World Through the Eyes of a Child, uh, one of them went to number two and there was a, a chart that time called Ten of the Best. And uh, If I Could See the World Through the Eyes of a Child was uh, number one and Ten of the Best. And I got offered a hundred pound a week uh, with a driver and a car on the road. And, you know, I promised my father I would look after mom and the wee ones, as he said. And John, my eldest brother, I'm the second eldest, John uh, was doing local work in the shop in Dunlow, but he wasn't earning that much. And I talked it over with mom and it was a, it was a way to make the promise good to my father. So I left school and I went down the highway of my life. Into show business. Yes. <laughs> Can I take you back, um, uh, just talking about your, your father? You made that promise when, when, when he became ill? Or, or no. no. Uh, my, father, my father, unknown to us, we didn't... Children that time, Eddie, weren't involved in adult company or conversation. Yeah. And it would be more or less John and myself that would have remembered in the old house that we were in before we got our, our council cottage, uh, we would have noticed people coming to him, but we weren't aware that they were coming to him for a cure. And he had this cure called the cure of the rose. And it was he was the seventh son, my father. He was a very spiritual man. You know, he didn't shove religion down your throat, but he was very, very spiritual. And um, the morning that he died, we moved into the new house in November 1967. And he was away in Scotland working as he did, uh, as I heard my mother say one day to my amazement, she said, I was married to Francie for 22 years when he passed away and we lived together for 13 months. Isn't that And that was... Yeah. And, and I thought that... I picked her up wrong and I said, Mum, people didn't live together that time. And she said, <laughs> no, that's all the time your it's father and I... You know, so five of us were born out of that. And on the morning that he passed away, he was not ill. He was out the day before and the day before that working uh, around the house and doing work for a neighbour of ours, Annie McGarvey. And uh, in the mor I came in from a dance in Fintown Hall and I would always go in and tell one of them, you know, that I was home and he was awake and he got up, he had a cup of tea with me and at a quarter to nine, my mother called me and said he was in the bathroom and he had lost his breath. So he died that morning. Um, his lung collapsed and he took a massive heart attack. And I think maybe a blood clot went to the brain. So he died very, very uh, suddenly. But while we were waiting on the doctor, uh, I went into the bedroom to him and he asked me to kneel down by his bed. And I did. And he said, uh, 
I'd never seen my father cry, but he cried that morning to me and he said, Margaret, will you promise me that you look after mum and the wee ones? And I was earning 10 shillings a night that time. So I said, how can I do that? And he says, oh, you'll be able to do it. And that was why the £100 a week and a car on the road and a driver looked so lucrative to mum and me. Yeah. And we sat down and we talked about it and we decided that that was the road to go. Your father, as you said, he, he spent a lot of time uh, in Scotland picking potatoes and working on farms and, and actually working in uh, at the fish gutting as well, yes. where he met your mother. Yeah, of course, they met in Lerwick. And even though uh, she was from OE Island and he was three miles over the road, uh, they never met until she went to Lerwick and he did. And, uh, and the years that followed, we met many people who knew the two of them in Lerwick. And Daniel actually took my mother back there when he was able to, you know. And uh, I was happy about that, you know. But uh, yeah, they had... That was uh, tough work. It was tough. And it was tough, Eddie, on on uh, the majority of women in northwest Donegal at that time. Because if you weren't a fisherman on a boat, we didn't have good farmland in the area we came from. We're in among mountains, as you know, and rock. Yeah. And therefore, they all had to emigrate. A lot of them went, you know, uh, because it was Donegal, our nearest point would be Scotland. So, uh, and Dad had a lot of brothers who lived there, who were married there. So uh, a lot of them went to Scotland. Some of them went to England and all all over, but a lot of them went to America. And a lot of the ones that went to America never came back. But uh, that was the way it was back in northwest Donegal, where we came from. And that was outdoor, working in ports, gutting fish in yeah, the wintertime. Yeah, yeah. And my father worked in, in farms, uh, you know, where he, he picked the beet. And uh, they, they worked at everything. Yeah. It was strange, and I used to I used to see it happen. Nobody had phones that time in houses, but his brothers who lived in Perth and Scotland and Edinburgh and down as far as the borders in Carlisle, they would write home to us, to my father and mother, and tell them that they heard of work coming up, and then a letter would go back put my name in for that and then my father would go over when there was work and they were keeping an eye out all the time. So that was how it, it was sort of word of mouth and pen, you know, and uh, my father would go away. We would see him always uh, at Christmas. That was the great thing about Christmas. Christmas uh, was Santa Claus because he brought dad home, you know. And life was very simple. He came home for... Uh, cutting the turf and setting the potatoes and then the letters would come again there was a job starting somewhere in Scotland or the borders of England and then he was off again yeah, you know yeah. so that that was life and it was tough on on women on wives you know yeah we we always had you know children had their mothers but we, we were I mean for instance 
uh, and you know this to be very, very true. Daniel has got vague memories mm-hmm. of his dad. That's right. And that is something that I must say I feel so sad about. Yeah. You know, because in a lot of ways, Daniel O'Donnell is like Francie O'Donnell. Right. In an awful lot of ways. And I've noticed a lot of it creeping in as he ages. Yeah. You know, I spent time with him in water for there a couple of weeks ago. He was doing his TG Cahar thing. And a lot of things. Daniel has a lot of the good qualities that his father had. Mm. And I feel sad that he didn't know that wonderful man better. Yeah. You know. Yeah. You, as you said, you went to Scotland with John and you picked potatoes as well. I did. Tatty Hawking. Yeah. Yeah. That I was did. T- was, what was that like? It was tough. It was backbreaking. It was, it was really bad. We, we, we lived in Bothies, as they called them. And uh, what the Bothies were, they were where the cattle were, were kept in the winter. And the summer would come, early summer or spring. The cattle were taken out. All of those sheds were washed down and hosed and disinfectant. And they put in, uh, you know, straw, mattresses. And we slept on them. And we were up at, at half past six every morning to get our tea. There was a place down where we had cookers and and the farm uh, provided all these so we made the breakfast and we headed everybody on the back of a a tractor on the trailer and they brought us out to the fields Uh, the the diggers would come the 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 fields were done out in stents so they measured the field and they counted the pickers and a lot of the men were baggers. They put the, the potatoes into bags. We had baskets that we tied round our waist. And uh, they measured the stents in accordance to the, the amount of pickers. And sometimes the field would be very, very long and your stent would be longer, you know, than the, the smaller field. So... You you actually, the bags were over on one side and you actually put the basket around your waist and you picked the potatoes with both hands into the basket. Every time the basket was full, you went over and the man, if you weren't able to empty it, and he helped you to empty it in. Now, sometimes my brother John, because he was older than me, he would be put, if they were short, he would be put on, on the baggers. And uh, we would empty that until the tractor would come down and we would have to have that stent picked when the tractor would go up and come back down again. So you hadn't any time for error. You were under pressure. Yes. And it was very hard work. You got a break at 11.30 where you could get a drink on the field and then you would go in for your lunch and back out again and then in the evening time, about maybe six or half six, uh, you would leave on the trailer of the tractor again. We brought back into the bothy and there was a housekeeper in there that would put on the potatoes for everybody. And I was cooking for John and I, and uh, we had an uncle and an aunt that was there as well. And she would always help me out and I would you know, fry the bit of meat for John or whatever we were having. And uh, we would eat 
and then it would be we were so tired. Yeah. You know, it would be time again for bed until the next day. So it was very hard, hard work. A lot of people from northwest Donegal went from uh, West Mayo, uh, North Kerry, and they're they're the counties that I met when I was when I was there. Yeah. But it was a it was a, a, a time of great uh, happiness as well. We had weekends where we had lots of sing songs around fires out in the open and we met wonderful people, people that I'm still in contact with today, you know. So it never killed us, yeah. you know. It was hard work and I think it did a lot of good. What months of the year were? Uh, uh, they would go from the end of April right up until the end of September. But I, I went actually in school. I went over in June and then I had to be back for school in September. Right. So I went for that period. Right, yeah. right, yeah. So, yeah, so you had some uh, real work to base your showbiz yeah, life against it was later a, on. <laughs> it was a nice run in. Daniel never had to do that. No, he didn't and he hated the bog. <laughs> Cutting turf. And, yeah, he yeah, hated all that. Of that yeah. Um, so then your your career took off then. You had the keynotes. Yeah, I had the keynotes then. And uh, as I said, in 1969, I left the keynotes because of the money situation. Yeah. And uh, I went to Dublin and John McNally, who was the, the manager at the time, and Johnny Kelly actually was the booking agent. And Johnny Kelly was a brother of Des Kelly's. They were from Galway, and he was the drummer with the Capital Show Band. So he did manage me for five or six years, and they formed the Country Folk. And, uh, and on uh, St. Stephen's Night, 1969, I uh, launched the Country Folk in Strokestown in County Roscommon, and we were called Margot and the Country Folk, the sound of the 70s. Right, yeah. right, yeah. yeah. And did it take off straight away? Uh, yeah, it was, it was unreal. Uh, it was strange, Eddie, because I went on the Late Late Show in October 1969, and Adrian Cronin was the producer, and he picked not the road by the river, he picked if I could see the world through the eyes of a child, and I sang it on the Late Late Show. Show and that time, if you if you got the late late show, you had arrived. It was it was big big time, and Gay was absolutely wonderful. And at that time, he had just got the little cottage in Donegal, and we were very proud that Gay Byrne was coming on holidays. Living amongst us, yes, amongst <laughs> us. So he came in to me. I remember I was in makeup, and he came in and he said to me, "So you're from Dunlow." And I said, no, I'm not from Dunlow, I'm from Kincastle. So he laughed at that. He thought it was very funny. And he actually, that's the way he introduced me. He says, uh, I had a run-in with this little girl 
Uh, I thought she was from Dunlow, but no, she didn't. She, she wasn't letting me away with it. She says, no, I'm not from Dunlow, I'm from Castle. So it was that, I think, that sort of made me known to everybody. Yeah. To people, uh, like... The Late Late Show that time was like a, a religion. Massive. It was massive. Yeah. And, and uh, everybody sang If I Could See the World Through the Eyes of Child. I, actually, I sang it last night. And the minute I sang it, the roar of applause that was there, and they were singing it along with me. And, you know, that's 1969. Incredible. And, and they all knew the words last night. So... It, it exploded then. It totally exploded, Eddie. And it was it was unbelievable. The crowds and everything was unbelievable. After that appearance. Mm -hmm. And even after that night, um, it was like winning the All-Ireland for Donegal. Yeah. When you came home, when bonfires came home. were lit for you. Absolutely. There was bonfires all along the road, you know. And uh, a lot of the people got into... You know, minibuses and whoever had cars to pack, pack people in. And they met uh, myself, Charlie McCall, and I went to Dublin. He was doing our bookings at the time. And he, I remember he had an Anglia, a black Anglia car. And we were coming across the Guibara and we saw all these lights. And that's where they met us. And they drove in a cavalcade <laughs> all the way through Dunlow and down uh, down to, to Kincasta Hall. Because you had been on the late Because late, I so. was on the late late. <laughs> and that's how big it was. Yes. It was huge. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And overnight your crowds just trebled, yeah, they, trebled. Yeah, they did. There was, you know, at that time, if you didn't go and do 2,400 in Bar. You didn't get return bookings. Really? Yeah. yeah. So crowds then and crowds now, I mean, I, it, it, it was quite unbelievable. It was, and of course, we took all this for granted. And it was people that loved to dance. There was no drink in the halls. There was, there was nothing. Uh, the, the summertime uh, created something spectacular and nearly every, a field in every county or maybe three or four fields with marquees, you know. And even today, Eddie, I would uh, be traveling, you know, somewhere down the country or maybe to a gig somewhere. And I would say to people, I sang in that field there and sometimes they'd look at me. <laughs> but it was true. Yeah. You know, at, uh, the, the, the marquees were everywhere. And although I'm, we're in a ho hotel here in Tullamore, I played at, at Ferban Carnival and all the carnivals all around here. It was, it was just absolutely wonderful. And I am so thrilled to have been part of that wonderful era. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel sorry that I only caught the end of it. Yeah. But, uh, you know... Uh, but you've been able to, to, to dig into... To relive it yeah, through to re other people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to, to artists like yourself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I caught the end of it and it was a fantastic yeah, time. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I'm sure there was a lot of romance as well as... There was no drinking, but they, they went for the dancing and the romance. Absolutely. And so I many mean, families are around so, today because of the... Yes. I mean, even last night, like, people, people came to me and said, I met him at one of your dances. 
you know, I met or he'd say, you're to blame for me and her. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's, uh, it's wonderful to think like that. And you're right. There was no drinker. Pe- people came in, the guys stood on one side of the floor, the men, the women on the other, and they danced the night away, you know, and, and the chat line was, uh, can I take you for a mineral? <laughs> you know, yeah. and they take them to the mineral bar and then they'd have another dance and so on and so forth. So it was, yeah. it was very, very special. Yeah, absolutely. Very special. Yeah. And how did you cope with the, the fame that went with it? It went right over my head. Did it? Yeah. yeah. I was, um, I actually probably, Eddie, uh, carried the promise that I made to my father. I, I was very intense, uh, too intense. I, I didn't allow myself to enjoy an awful lot of what I should have been enjoying. Mm. Uh, I, I sort of was, uh, I have to get this home to my mother. I have to, you know, I, none of my siblings was going to want. Yes. I, I carried, when I pr- made that promise, I, I got too involved in it. Mm. I carried it too far. Yeah. And it pressure, the pressure that was on me, as I thought, yeah. you know, but when there wasn't really pressure at all. But I created that pressure. I, I, I knew I meant something. But then, on the other hand, those people, I always looked that they meant an awful lot to me. And thankfully, that was true because... Thankfully, last night here was sold out because I thought the way I did and because they they thought the way they did about me. So, um, yeah, for for the years, you know, following the launching of the country folk, it was unbelievable, the the crowds and the the, the amount of records that were sold. It was mind-boggling. What about the travelling? Because it was totally different roads back then. Yeah, it was hard. Bad uh, vans. And yeah, it was hard. Uh, and, you know, the the thing about it was, you know, we could be in Cork one night and, you know, you could be in Donegal the next or whatever or Dublin or over in Galway. And you travelled all the time, every day, back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Whereas now you have the luxury of coming the day before and, and resting and and all that. But it was rough and the roads were rough. And I remember when I was with the keynotes, I remember in particular we were were playing at a dance one night in Sneem in Kerry where a man had gone to Indiana and uh, uh, made quite a lot of money and came back and built a hall on a rock in Sneem and booked Margot for on the keynotes. Uh, and we we left Donegal. We were p- playing in Arnmore Island. We came out on the boat, a half-decker. Uh, all the gear had to be piled onto the boat, taken off the boat, packed in the van. And I remember my mother coming over from Kincastle with sandwiches to us and uh, we got into the van and headed for Kerry at about half past eight in the morning from Portonport and uh, it took us all day because of the roads. 
Even to get out of Donegal was a miracle. <laughs> <laughs> but it was lovely. But yeah. anyway, we landed in Sneem. And, you know, that time there was no all-night petrol stations. Yes. So what we had to do, the boys in the band smoked. Uh, I think, you know, 90% of them smoked. Yeah. And they would be sitting with two five-gallon drums of petrol <laughs> and between the back seat and the front seat. And that's the way we travelled. Lighting cigarettes. Yes. <laughs> you know, we were a time bomb waiting to go off. <laughs> but anyway, we did Sneem. When we landed in Sneem, there was a lovely meal for us and the man made us so welcome. And it, the hall was packed and we, you forget about the journey you've made and you enjoy the cry of the heart. Yeah. And the music of the soul. Yeah. Yeah. Those couple of hours up on stage yeah. made, made the travel worthwhile. Absolutely. And then you got back into the van again and you traveled back. But when we were leaving home, you know, it was where we were emigrating. They were all waving and my mother was crying. Really? I hope you're going to be all right. For the night? And, yeah. <laughs> it was unreal. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I had an uncle who's passed away and he was a fisherman. Um, he lived on the island and uh, he was asking me... You know, he'd ask me things if I was down in Dunmore East, that was a fishing area, or Skibbereen. He would say, what's it like down there? You know, because he fished locally. Yes. So I used to be able to bring back the stories. So yeah. it was all vegetation. Yeah. You know, it was great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You were their, their kind of radio, their, yeah, their, I was. their I was radio show yeah, or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and then you, try, you, you moved from Ireland you didn't move from Ireland, but, you know, it, it transferred abroad to the UK, to, yeah. to, to the emigrants in Absolutely. England and America. Yeah, I, th I think that was the, the biggest thing. I sang a lot of the Irish emigrant songs. And, uh, of course, we did Lent. We did it in England or Scotland uh, with the keynotes and the country folk, for that matter. And uh, I was a link. You know, I remember one night in, in the Hibernian and Fulham, and the same would have been in the Galfie Morning Cricklewood. And there would have been 30 or 40 deep at the stage. And there would be all people that had emigrated because they had to get work, you know, in England or Scotland or wherever. And I would have seen more people probably from home there, you know, than was at home now. And those people, you know, they didn't have the luxury of, of flying home or they, they couldn't even phone uh, it was only a post office that w had the phones or a doctor or, you know, some business person. So the letters were always written. And uh, sometimes when I'd be going away, you know, and local people uh, would know I was going, I would take packages over, you know. To their I family. I remember there was a woman who had a son and he was working in London. And I remember she used to always send a jumper to him that she knitted for every winter. Really? Yeah. you know, for him to wear. And I remember one night in particular uh, starting to sing The Hills of Glenswilly. And uh, I had a, a fellow who's passed on since Kieran Murphy from Mayo. He was playing lead guitar with me. And um, I remember him, when I started singing The Hills of Glenswilly, they were all crying. And he walked over to me and he whispered in my ear, he said, you have them now.
And the feeling that you get is, I'm there linked with home. And for that three minutes or so of that song, you know, their memories yeah. were brought back. You carried Ireland to that. I did. And the same thing, I think the biggest impact that I felt was in a place uh, uh, in Queens in New York. And, uh, and this was 1972. And I went out and there was a man that owned the Tower View Ballroom in Queens. His name was Bill Hardigan. He was originally from Carrick and Shannon. And uh, I remember going out and I had sent my music out before the management had sent the music. So I was being backed by a band out there called the High Spots. And uh, I remember Bill saying to me, you know, Margot, you can sing a lot of country songs as well. And... Uh, I know Philomena had been out some time before that and Philly would have done a lot of country. And um, I said, okay, Bill, no problem. And I went on the stage and the people, it was absolutely packed of all people from home. I saw more people from home that night in Papern's in New York than I, I did at home in years that passed. And uh, I remember singing a couple of country songs. And when they looked at me for a little while, they started to move away. And then I sang Destination Donegal. And they all came flooding back. And the hankies came out and they cried their eyes out. Yeah. And it was a feeling like I, I almost didn't get through the song. So I always loved that connection. Although, and even here last night, it was amazing. I dedicated a part of the show last night to the people to ask me for songs that I didn't have in the program for last night. And they went back to the Cliffs of Dunin and they went back to any Tipperary town. They went back, 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 back even to the keynotes and thankfully I was able to sing. But the thing that I remembered last night, they were all at home. These people heard those songs first from me when they were in England or Scotland or in America. Okay. And now they're back home. Yeah. And a lot of them came to me afterwards and said, you know, you brought us back to when we met, when we were immigrants. And that's what was important. Now, don't worry. Margot's story is just beginning. So join us on our next podcast when we bring you part two of her remarkable life. This has been My Country Life, a Sunday World podcast. This episode was produced by Ian Malini, and the theme music is Rose Gold Renegades by Jesse Frisell. If you enjoy this episode, do consider sharing it with a friend or leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. Until next time, I'm Eddie Rowley, and this is My Country Life.